This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. My oncologist talked to me through all of my options, and most importantly, he listened. He understood that quality of life means quality of my love life, too. My sex life, my family life, my married life, my hot and sexy goddess life. All of it mattered. Not just being alive, which of course I am lucky to be, but there's more to it than just bare-bones survival. Valeria interviews Anna Sullivan. She is a writer, speaker, and a licensed mental health therapist. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Vogue, Cosmopolitan, Salon, HuffPost, Insider, and Zibi Magazine, among other publications. In 2017, at 37 years old, Anna was diagnosed with early-stage breast cancer and immediately began a targeted hormone therapy to wipe out the estrogen in her body and lower the risk of recurrence. Within days, she found herself in premature medical menopause. While her doctors had prepared her for the mastectomy, Anna felt ill-prepared for the plethora of menopausal symptoms she quickly began to experience. She penned a personal essay about her experience for the HuffPost Personal, which went viral. Blown away by the response she received from readers, she realized many women continue to suffer the taboo symptoms of menopause. Anna has been a guest on the Tamron Hall Show and radio shows. She is currently writing a book. This book is about how I came to accept my body, both as a vessel that keeps me alive and one that is capable of deep pleasure. At times, I believed it was a trade-off. Meet Anna at annasullivan.net. Here's the interview with Anna Sullivan. your own words. Who is Anna Sullivan? Um, let's see. I certainly have a lot of roles that identify me. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm a friend. I'm a writer. I'm a trained therapist, but I'm not currently practicing. I'm a highly sensitive person. I always have been. Um, <laughs> And I really feed on connecting with other people um, through humor and stories and honest conversations. It's interesting. When you said, I'm a highly sensitive person, something in me said, oh, I'm so glad. I'm grateful, <laughs> you know, for you being a highly sensitive person. It's almost like coming from a place of, um, a universal place of 
the need for that to be more sensitive to our own limitations and all the the amazing things, amazing experiences we can have within the body and outside, but also the connectivity, yeah, the sense of connectedness. You just mentioned that too, uh, interacting with other people from that from that level. It feels to me that it's deeper. There's something about being sensitive to other people's feelings and the way they view life in themselves that speaks to my heart in a very powerful way. So thank you for saying that. Oh, yeah. I think um, I think sometimes, you know, highly sensitive people that it's, it can be, I feel like that's almost a popular thing right now or, or a way of people identifying themselves or explaining themselves. And, and that's, I think that's incredible. I think, um, you know, it's hard to embrace your vulnerabilities and to name what, you know, your sensitivities are. Um, but I know for myself, if I don't do that, then I have a really hard time staying open rather than shutting down. Um, I'm raising a very sensitive child. He has a lot of, uh, you know, sound sensitivities. Um, he's a lot of neurodiversity and he can sometimes feel a friend of mine said this best, like a raw nerve just moving through the world. And, um, you know, my instinct is to try and protect him all the time, but it's also sort of being his parent has made me reframe that in just sort of changing the focus to helping him understand what his superpower is and why he feels things so strongly um, and really helping him build up that understanding and, you know, his, his toolkit. So he stays open to feeling things instead of just putting up walls and barriers, which is what you're saying. I think a lot of people end up doing. Yes, yes, yes. That's exactly it. And then later on, it becomes like a journey of healing. And then whether we are open to therapy or not, forms of healing. That's beautiful to hear that you are already building the foundation. So your son understands himself. So that will help him not just navigate this reality, the world, but also other people similar to him. I hope so. It's certainly a journey. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a vision, right? That's a vision that comes to me in, a, in a, a beautiful way. I know, um, well, in you. a hopeful way, I know. It's a lot of times I, I try to not uh, even use the word hope because it feels like just trying to be positive about everything in a way, trying to even push away the expectation of negativity, that something could go wrong. Right. Um, or, or kind of... That way of thinking that, you know, life is, I deserve to be happy and life should go my way. Mm-hmm. That right. doesn't help us. So, yeah, you made me reflect on that too. Actually, there's so much, so much reflection that kind of, I see like awakening in me by being in touch with you. That's interesting. It might be that I share that too. Who knows? Oh. It feels like I never labeled myself a highly sensitive person, but it feels that way. Oh, I... Well, I'm so honored you feel that way. I I find myself drawn to highly sensitive people as well. I think I just yearn for connection. And I think I, um, I can't, you know, I, I think that's like, you know, a form of intimacy in my friendships. And um, 
So I can tell that you're very open to it too. So I think from, (laughs) from the get go, we've had that, we've had that connection. Yes, it feels that way, Anna. So let me ask you some open questions. I guess the first one that comes to mind is that I didn't write here is what inspired you to become a mental health therapist? Ooh, um, you know, I think um, I grew up in a family like so many people um, that struggled with various forms of dysfunction. Um, For me, what that looked like was um there was a lot of addiction in my family and and underneath that there were there were a lot of mental health issues and just hit issues in general that were being swept under the rug um you know we didn't talk a lot about what we were we weren't allowed to talk about what we were seeing um and i think a lot you know with addiction and with with a lot of things um uh, trauma is generational. And so I think, you know, there isn't blame there. That's certainly like not where I'm, that's not the place I'm coming from, but there was a lot of stuff I, I just hadn't processed in my life. Um, and I was drawn to other careers in my twenties. I, uh, I worked in marketing. I worked, um, in PR. I was a teacher. Um, and I was, I was really yearning for, um, a career that had more meaning to me. Um, and actually I was feeling that before I started teaching. And then when I started teaching, I sort of realized that, um, that I was really drawn to the mental health field. At that point I had done a lot of, um, counseling and therapy myself. Um, there was a graduate program here in Santa Fe that I was really interested in that uses a lot of art therapy, um, and different modalities, so I, you know, kind of packed up and, and moved to Santa Fe um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and started a graduate program in counseling. And I've been here ever since. Right. Wow. It makes me think about how amazing the brain is. I mean, it's, it's the, the body itself, but the body-mind complex, how it works. It seems like it's, it's always trying to solve not even what it perceives as issues because it doesn't really. It's just something that's happening. It's getting away of its own state of harmony and happiness. So it seems like it, it does whatever it takes, you know, to, to kind of bring these forms of, of healing. And I can see that in my own life. It's, it's incredible. So what is your idea of happiness these days, Anna? How do you define happiness? Oh, wow. Um, well, happiness is fleeting, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> moment to moment. It does yeah. sometimes. <laughs> um, I think happiness for me now looks a lot more like peace, um, you know, in, real like inner peace, um, you know, in terms of my mental health, in terms of my physical health, in terms of my parenting health. Um, I think as I've gotten older, it, it's more about balance than anything else. And then there are moments of just pure happiness, you know, when I'm with my sisters in a place we love or um, with my family doing something we love. And But the understanding that um, there's, there's going to be the downturn 
as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we have to kind of, I, I, I you know, the struggle, there's always going to be that too. So I think for me, it's more of a balance these days. Yeah, I love that you brought that piece of inner peace. That's something that resonates with me, this idea of being at peace. And then I try to unpack that. What does it mean to be at peace? Is that being in acceptance with what is happening, that it's getting in the way of our happiness, perhaps? Like, how would you, how do you describe that? What is to be at peace? You know, for me, I think, what I've realized and what I understand on a deeper level now is um, that it stems from gratefulness, like gratefulness for the life I have and the life I had rather than the life I wish I had or the, or the life that I wish that I have today. Um, You know, we're getting so much information from social media and culture and pop culture and, it's hard to kind of filter out messages. Um, and also sometimes when you do mental health work, it, it, it's, it, it brings up a lot from the past and it can bring up feelings of regret or all kinds of things. So I think for me, um, you know, peace, cause that's a word that's sort of, you're right, hard to understand really stems from forgiveness and acceptance. Um, and just trying to really be grateful for the life that I have right now. Yeah, that sounds really great to me. This definition, the way you dance around that idea, right? Being grateful, even if, if it is just for this moment, like moment by moment, being in appreciation of what's happening or for what, what we have. In a way, it is kind of shifting our attention, isn't it, Anna? To something that is it's always here, that is here. Like even the idea of being alive, you mentioned that in one of your articles that caught my attention, being alive. But then we don't want to just to be alive, as you said. It's not just about survival. Right. We want, right? We want to thrive. We want to go beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have those questions. I was saving them here. <laughs> Let me see if I can still <laughs> hold on to them. Yeah, I have them here for the, the next um, session of the interview. But another question that I would love to ask you, is about the purpose of the human experience. What do you feel that is? If there is one purpose per se, what would that be? Hmm. I mean, for me, I I think it comes back to awareness um, and just really, you know, f- trying to examine who you are, examine your life, um, it's a continual process, of course, making sure it aligns with the values you create, um, the relationships you build, uh, family. And then um, I think for me, it's also been a huge uh, challenge for me has been sort of integrating that into being present. Um, and this idea of like, what if we can just be and not do all the time? Um yeah, that's something that is, um, I mean, to me, it's the question th- that that comes to me is, why can we be and do at the same time? <laughs> yeah. Have this presence right here, being, just being present to what is present. And I don't know, for me, it, the feeling of joy arises every time when yeah. I'm present. But I'm doing something. <laughs> it's yeah. not that I'm not doing. So it 
feels that way. Right. Being present in what you're doing. That's the yes. next level. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's the practice, isn't it, Anna? Um, yes, it is. So my last open question, the warm-up question, is about love. I'm, I have to use the same word. I love the way you talk about your husband and how supportive he was throughout your journey with breast cancer and everything else in between, which we'll talk about in a moment. So the open question is, what is your understanding of love for these days? What is love to you? Hmm. You know, I think that any human being that has the capacity for empathy um, or compassion has a fear of disconnection. Um, And I think, so I think most human beings yearn for love and yearn for that sense of belonging. Um, And I've heard you speak on your other podcasts about, you know, love is everywhere. It's all around us. If you, you know, once you can really, truly love yourself, then it sort of um, takes away that separateness between one another. Um, And I think that on, you know, it's, it's truest level to me, that's what love is. And I think it starts with forgiveness. I think it starts with acceptance um, for yourself. And then you can sort of learn how to have that unconditional love. And you can also allow that unconditional love in um, through intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just a relationship with somebody specifically. I love the way you brought the this larger picture of what love is. Right. Yeah, but you know what? Hearing you say that makes me want to add that you can, it's a, that can be a foundation, you know, after you choose your partner and you embark on a life together and you have kids and you have a home and you, um, try not to lose yourself as you move through the world in all these different roles, your career. Um, and so it is also choices. It is negotiations. It's communication. It's um, how you work together in relationships. Um, yes. Yeah, that is true. That's one of my perspective comes from the larger view. It has been for the last 15 years. But it's integrating them, right? As you said, integrating this larger kind of picture idea of love into this relative reality, per se. Now, it's a practice. It's an interesting practice. Because it seems like it slows down. It's easier for me to understand, kind of see everything as love. It's so easy. But then when I'm quiet, when I'm meditating, even when I'm here talking to you about these things, like, oh, it feels really amazing. But then when challenges, the challenges, it's the relationship with my husband, for example, or my family and friends. And then when they kind of, when they display this unwillingness to communicate openly, to express themselves honestly, or to have a very, a deep conversation or or a conversation about anything. So when they close that door, then it's, it seems like it's not as easy. It's, it seems like the, even my own door of unconditional love and that broader view of love kind of gets 
it, it closes too. And that's interesting mm. to notice. And I wonder if that's because it's the body and the mind. They don't really, it seems like they work at a, at a very slow pace. <laughs> They're very slow, right? In understanding these uh, larger ideas of life. Yeah, they do. I mean, that can bring a lot of frustrations. I know for myself yeah. when I've worked, done work on my anxiety or, um, you know, any physical symptoms I'm having around that. And I feel like I've made strides. And then out of nowhere, you know, you'll feel a symptom again. And you're like, but, but wait a yeah. second, I already worked yeah. on this. Yeah. What are you doing <laughs> <Yeah>. here? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the How idea that you can't, me. you know, you can't change other people really they have to do when you talk about doing the work um they have to do it for themselves as well so yeah, that's so, the choice right that they always have anyway it yeah. is so that might be a sign that you you have done the work and you reach a point where it's not being reciprocated um you can sense you've reached a point and the door closes and that's you can't you can't take someone you can't lead someone down the hallway, you know, so. Yeah, yes. Uh, thank you for saying that because it feels that way. Uh, hopefully my husband won't listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I talked to him about it anyway. Yes, right. Uh, beautifully said. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah, that shows how highly sensitive you are. It's yes. <laughs> almost like you're picking up that. I have to ask you this question. Do you have any spiritual practices or ideas, views of life, Anna? Um, you know, I was, I was raised, um, um, let's say, um, with Catholic religion light. <laughs> yes, yes, we, I know, uh, I can relate to that. Yeah, yeah which is, which is interesting because my mom is a nun. She actually, in her, in her 20s, um, was a nun. She lived in the convent and she didn't take her final vows, um, and so she she wanted us to develop our spirituality on our own. She gave us she you know laid the the foundation for us um, in terms of understanding religion. And then I think over time I have um, you know more spirituality than than formal religion in my life right now. Um, although I have started going to Al-Anon and that has, um, strengthened and deepened my relationship with a higher power. Um, mm. so that's something I'm continuing to explore now in my adulthood, which is, which is kind of cool. Yes. What is it? And I never heard, I probably never heard of Al-Anon. I don't know what that is. So Al-Anon is a program for, um, children of alcoholics or anyone that's been affected by somebody's addiction. Yes, I remember going, I think I went to, they, they had a name for it. I think it was Women Who Loved Too Much, I remember. Oh, wow. And that, yeah. and that was connected to the uh, AA. That was fascinating to me and to just kind of, no, it can't be. Yeah. <laughs> you can never love too much. Yeah. <laughs> How can this be a, an addiction? It's um, an addiction, yep. Yes. That moment. I, I'm yeah, that was, me. <laughs> yeah, isn't that amazing? And how we uncover these things like little by little throughout life. Uh, what's getting in the way, really, of happiness and peace and that unconditional love at the at the 
the body-mind level, which is a big one, right? It's the human experience. We experience life through the body-mind. Yes. So uh, it's fascinating. This is a, another podcast conversation. So yes. Let me, let me continue with the questions. So you are a writer, speaker, and licensed mental health therapist. You're also a co-host of Healing and Dealing podcast. So talk to me about how you became a writer. You have written so many amazing articles. You are, you are I mean, a beautiful writer, too. You write, you write so well. So t- talk to me about how you came to that. And of course, I know the backstory a bit, but I would love for you to share that with the audience. Sure. So um, during COVID, my family um, and I relocated to Vermont, which is where I spent my high school years. Um, it's been home ever since I was a teenager. Um, so we moved to a, a small town in Vermont and I was I opened a private practice and I was um, working with teenagers and families. And for the first year, it was during COVID. And I, I felt like, as most people did during that time, um, just pretty burned out by um, the work I was doing. I was dealing with a lot of family stuff at the time as well and processing, um, really grieving my, my mother's death. Um, um, at that point, it would have been six years before. Um, and being back in Vermont, um, I think really stirred up a lot of that for me. So I, I decided to take a step back and allow myself the time and space to, to really grieve, um, that loss and think about what was next. And I started writing, um, I'd always been interested in writing, um, I've always, you know, I've always written, but I had never been published. Um, And I started out by writing a lot about parenting because I'm a mental health therapist. Um, And then I met an editor in New York who told me, he gave me the best advice. He said, um, I was feeling a little stuck in what direction I wanted to go. And he said, why don't you write about, um, tell the story of you know that your your favorite story to tell at a cocktail party like something that brings the room together that everyone can relate to on some level um and and it's you know that is funny but also um traumatic on some level right. you know <laughs> yes um, so yeah. <laughs> i thought about that and yeah. i had also um you know a huge piece of the story is i was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2017 And, um, I had a unilateral mastectomy and instead of chemo, because my cancer was caught very early, I was prescribed a targeted hormone therapy. Um, so when we moved to Vermont, I was three years into my treatment. Um, the hormone therapy launched me into menopause, into, uh, premature medical menopause. I was 37 years old at the time. Um, so my doctor, you know, I was at first I was, I was relieved to know I wouldn't need chemotherapy. Um, and then, and I really didn't understand what it meant when he told me that I was going to go into menopause practically overnight. Um, so when I started the drugs, I thought the worst was behind me in terms of, um, the surgeries I'd needed and the diagnosis. Um, but but really, my journey was just beginning. Um, 
So for my, I wrote an essay for the Huff Post about my experience um, going through premature medical menopause and, you know, how it sort of takes you through my journey of how little I knew at the beginning and, um, you know, how I handled the symptoms as they came up. And the most severe symptom that I dealt with, which was vaginal atrophy, which is the thinning and drying of the vaginal tissue, um, at, and that made sex intercourse extremely painful. Um, and how I started recognizing those symptoms, what I did about it, how long it took me to get help and why, because it took me over a year. Um, and then beginning to research that and, and really starting to, to understand that so many women, not just breast cancer survivors, but people who are going through menopause are suffering from many of these symptoms and almost 90% of them are suffering from the vaginal symptoms, but for so many different reasons, they're not getting help. And, you know, given my background in therapy, I was fascinated by what are the reasons that people aren't going to their doctors to get help? Why do women feel shame and embarrassment around these very treatable medical conditions? Um, so when my art, when my first essay came out in the HuffPost Personal, I started receiving emails from all around the world, just women and men who were writing on behalf of their partners, um, who had gone through this and had just said, you know, thank you for naming this. Thank you for, for helping to normalize this. I was going through this. I haven't said anything. I had one woman tell me, oh, I, you know, I've been having these symptoms I, my doctor told me it was due to lack of sleep and sent me on my way. Um, there's a really startling statistic that says that three out of four women who talk to their doctors about their vaginal symptoms get dismissed by their doctors. Uh, yeah. Wow. That is incredible. I mean, that caught my attention. Yeah. When I read that. And do you, um, what is I know it's a taboo. That's what you mentioned. That's the word you used. But I'm wondering what's the nature of that. Why is there so much shame? Is that something that all? I mean, are you aware that this also happens with men? Because I remember talking to like my husband about this, and he said, "Oh, I I also have some issues." And then he mentioned some of the issues he had. So it seems like. We have a lot of, what's the word for that? I'm trying to, to find, it, it doesn't, it's shame seems to be a byproduct. There's something that is it's deeper. It's almost like if there's something deeper than the shame of having a, a, a bodily, a, a problem at the level of the physical body, it is almost like this shame or the being naive about the being a human. There's something naive about it, about that as well. The innocence of, okay, I'm the human body. I mean, we'll never have these conversations anyway, the children. You know, you're just in the human body. And then there's lots that will, will happen to this machine, this organism called body. But it, it seems like we are not in touch with that. And that's what it really uh, comes to me. Because I tend to go deeper into things because I want to know the nature of, of I want to know the truth. Mm. Like, where, 
what is the truth, you know, behind all this? So have you reflected about almost like the main cause of, of not talking about certain things, especially when it comes to the body? Well, you know, that's really interesting because a friend of mine um, who's an OBGYN, she was talking, she said something that that was so fascinating to me. She she was talking about women who come to her who have, you know, vaginal symptoms. And she was saying, if they even recognize the symptoms. And that made me stop and think, wow, some women can't even put words to this. You know, some women um, explain these symptoms away or are in denial, don't, don't, don't feel them or think about them. Um, and, and there's a whole population of people who aren't even aware that this is happening. Um, and, and I think that, that what you're saying is so true. And that's this collective disconnection we have right now. You know, I think it got a lot worse during COVID, but just in terms of our relationships, but then also just with our body. Yes. Yeah. And you know, a lot of times I, I wonder, it is my experience as well, having these sensations, you know, feeling these things. I'm 46. I mentioned this off record. And I have some, I feel the, the symptoms of menopause, of course. But it's not that I'm ignoring them. I'm very much aware of them. I, I guess for me, it's that it's just something that is happening. And, and perhaps I'm not really curious enough to investigate and to explore that. And I'm wondering if that happens as well with some women. Of course, not all of us uh, think that way. But in my case, I'm, I'm, I'm very much aware of everything that's happening. And I usually talk about it, but it's not um, the sense that drive to explore, go deeper into the um, in that physical realm and explore that. It's just not here. And it might be because uh, I'm very much interested in spirituality and anything that has to do with the broader, bigger view of what this is, which we call life. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what it is for me. So, yeah, I wonder if you have... A, how do you feel about that? Or does it make sense to you at all? If somebody, if there's, yeah, that can. I think this idea of aging in, mm, you know, yeah. this youth obsessed culture yes. can lead some people to sort of push through a lot of their discomforts around things. Um, but I also think that more so what you're describing is you seem to be more at peace with it and you haven't, yes. yeah, you haven't reached a, yeah. a point mm-hmm. of, you know, mm-hmm. I dare say crisis, but you haven't reached right. a point where you've needed <laughs> yes. like help, you know, from, right. um, yeah. it hasn't, um, impaired your relationships, your intimacy, your friendships, your health. I mean, I think that when it becomes, but. I mean, I, I encourage women to, 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 to seek out help from an OBGYN or someone, you know, a, spe- a specialist who deals with menopause um, before that happens, because there's certainly things you can be doing to help ease a lot of the physical discomforts and emotional. Oh, it's oh, everything. Yes. Mental health. 
Motions. Yeah, they're coming together, right. Mm-hmm. And that's true, Anna. Yeah, that's a very good point. Maybe has not reached the point of getting in the way of my well-being, right? Once that happens, of course, yeah, I would do something about it. And hopefully, <laughs> I don't like the word hope, but yeah I, yeah, I would expect that to happen. Yeah, you trust yourself to, to get yes. help. So with that in mind... What did you find out reading the, one of the articles you wrote, you wrote many of them about topic, I noticed the treatment options. So there are many treatment options, vaginal lubricants, vaginal moisturizers, vaginal estrogen therapy. But you talked about, I think it might be something similar that at the end of the article, you're using estrogen cream. Is that the same thing as vaginal estrogen therapy or something different? Um, So there are hormone replacement therapies that many women in menopause can benefit from. Um, The Women's Health Initiative put out research um, many years ago that that scared a lot of people away from from using hormone replacement therapies Um, and a lot of doctors, too. There's a risk of there's a perceived risk of, you know, increased breast cancer and stroke. Um, I'm certainly not a doctor, but you can find all that information online. Now, um, the research is showing that um, there really isn't a risk. Uh, it doesn't using those uh, hormones doesn't really increase your risk for uh, breast cancer and stroke and all these things that were really really scaring people. Um, survivors, the 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 research is 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 a little bit more tricky to understand, and the conversations are more nuanced. And um, you know, everyone's diagnosis is different. My, for instance, my cancer was hormone sensitive, which is why I went on um, a hormone therapy, which killed all the estrogen in my body. And then I do, that's, and the drug I'm taking is called letrozole. And then I'm also um, doing every, once every three month Lupron injections, which has just completely shut down my ovaries. So, you know, similar to surgical menopause, I went into medical menopause like very, very quickly. Um, so I think in the past, um, it's probably a mixture of things. There hasn't been enough research. And also, you know, in the sort of collective public discourse that's been happening around menopause, there people haven't been talking about using estrogen with survivors. Um, I've, been, I've been in discussion with um, a couple doctors who, oncologists, who have shown me clinical studies and have, you know, made it pretty clear that vaginal, uh, like a topical vaginal estrogen cream can be really effective with vaginal atrophy and, um, pretty harmless. There's, there's basically no risk, um, to using it in small doses. Um, I think changing, you know, people's opinions about that is, is really hard because it's coming from a place of fear. If you have breast cancer that survives on estrogen and you've, you know, all but stopped eating edamame, it's like, why would you smear estrogen cream all over your body? You know, it just seems counterintuitive. And when, you know, people, people make personal decisions about their health all the time. Um, you think about gluten or, or alcohol or diet soda or whatever, um, people's risk tolerance, um, varies of course. So, I actually haven't tried the estrogen cream yet. I do plan to, but um, I want to try some other treatments first. 
Yes, yeah, that would be wonderful. I know you will keep writing about these things. And speaking of writing, talk to me about the new book that you're writing about the same topic and beyond, uh, I believe. That's, uh, that would be an interesting also publication to be out there. I don't even know if there is any books on the topic. I don't think so. Yeah, so I've, I'm just about finished with, um, you know, starting work on this book. It's about my experience um, as a breast cancer survivor. The working title is My Rejuvenation Year, um, sort of a year uh, facing, um, you know, my experience in medical menopause, um, my experience going through vaginal atrophy, getting to the point where you know, it's really difficult to have sex with my husband and intimacy in our relationship has changed and sort of reaching that breaking point and then trying all of these new innovative um, vaginal rejuvenation treatments, which are definitely starting to gain popularity. There are, you know, lasers, radio frequency, PRP, which in the past has been used, you know, to treat athletes' back injuries and um, and then, uh, you know, other more holistic methods like vaginal steaming and, you know, sort of like ancient healing methods that have been around for a long time. So my journey, um, that's sort of the educational piece of the book is, is really, I'm like the guinea pig. I'm doing, I'm trying, <laughs> <Yes>. all, these, <laughs> I'm trying all these treatments. Yes. Um, uh-huh. And then it's also... Um, you know, the narrative also revolves around, um, it's really about healing from within, you know, it's sort of, we, I think in our society, we all try to fix things that aren't broken, um, and coming to terms with that and healing from the inside out. And this idea that it's just, it's never too late to heal from your past, um, and, and move forward, but to do that, um, it's sort of this radical sacrificing that needs to happen, you know? Mm, yes, that's true. Beautifully said, Anna. I love that. Healing from within. And, you know, you, you inspired me to remember something that I read about going into what doesn't need to be healed in order to see what it does. Mm. So that's what you reminded me of just now. Oh, I love that. Yes, when I heard that, it was like, oh my God, that's this is it. Yeah. <laughs> In a sense of uh, practice and awareness, really. I mean, awareness first and then becomes a practice. Yes. But that's where the fun is in a way. I mean, I call it meaningful fun. Coming from that place that doesn't he- need healing and then just being open to what it does. It, it, it feels more like, it feels fun to me. I know it doesn't sound too good even saying that. I love that. Yeah. You do? <laughs> but yeah. it is. I mean, I I love that. I I try to bring a lot of playfulness and humor into everything I do and and I think it's, you know, especially when you're writing about cancer and um and and grieving and I think you know, humor um and playfulness and and fun is <laughs> it it helps you stay motivated to to keep working at these issues. Yes, it does. And it's even better when it happens naturally. Mm. Like you come from this place of wholeness and then something in you notice things that seems 
to be broken, but you know it's not because you are already in wholeness. So that's what it's really, to me, has been an amazing, if I can call it, amazing experience from that perspective of trying to kind of dance with those parts (laughs) that don't seem to, to come together, but they do in the end. It's, I mean, it's all here. I love that. That's like true healing. Yes, right. That what it feels that way very much. And you know, I interview lots of um, therapists here and non-duality teachers, non-dual ther- therapists too. I interviewed them sometimes. And I'm a student of Vedanta, which is a non is a non-duality philosophy. So it's amazing to see those two parts coming together, like, oh my God, and seeing people like yourself, like therapists, going into this, uh, becoming aware of you know, this reality that is always here, that is whole, that's complete. And then kind of, it's still not, not stopping there, not ending the, the exploration there, going into the human experience, bringing, bringing that into this of what's happening here now, which we call the human experience. I don't even know. I think we label everything. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I say, I don't even know what this is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is this day. happening? Right, yeah, happening. Doing the dishes and doing the school (laughs) drop-offs. All these things, like what is, it's just fascinating even to have conversations like about these things to me. Like, oh my God, how can we talk about these things even? That's incredible. So I want to thank you again. We're almost at the end of the conversation for today. I want to thank you for being open to life as you are. It's truly, truly beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you, Anna. And let's see, I do, I made it. Yeah, there's something funny that you, I have to mention this because I was laughing when I read this. <laughs> you, speaking of humor, you mentioned about doctors. I think it was somebody who went to a doctor and then a woman, and then she talked about the, the issue with the vaginal atrophy or vaginal dryness. And I think uh, you wrote that they made a comment about, oh, if you don't use it, you lose it. <laughs> something like that. I was laughing at that. Yeah. Like, my God. And then <laughs> It's like how who would make that comment? Although it is, it does make sense, doesn't it? Because the body circulation, so we need to stimulate every part of our bodies. So it made sense to me, but it was funny anyway. Yeah, I think. Um, well, I think that that was the right takeaway from that because of, you know it does it does make sense um, on a mechanical level. However, I will say, um, <laughs> yes, I've had two oncologists say that to me and both of them happen to be men. So I think that, um, you know, there's not, it's, you just, there's, there's a limitation to understanding a a woman's body. If you're, if you're a man, if you're a man. (laughs) Yes, I I would say so. Yeah. And it seems like they don't even want to talk about the subject, go deeper into it anyway. And, and I wonder why, if you're a professional in the area, then it, that's it, right? Yeah. It's, um, and there's a little bit of like micro blaming going on, getting a a, res, a response like that from a doctor who most people, I know I certainly do, hold in high esteem and they're in a position of power or authority. And there's a little bit of like micro blaming. Like what I mean by that is like, well, you're not doing enough. Yes. Right, not doing your part. You know, right. just, yeah. it's it's those um, those statements and that way of being where it just it just closes down conversations. It closes down that moment of vulnerability. Mm. 
Wow. And that's another, that's definitely another podcast conversation. Yes. I would love to come back and talk about that. Yeah. Please, I would love to hear more about it too, because I do, I had uh, lots of experiences. Not too many per se, like numbers, but way too many for me. I could be in contact with professionals, doctors who would stop conversation where there was the opportunity to actually invite a lot more exploration on whatever was being discussed. So, and then I always wondered why. Oh, you're a professional in this area. So I think... I don't know. That's another conversation. But I, I feel like it's that disconnection with the uh, our humanity. It's almost like becoming, trying to make everything too simple in a way, simplifies, simplifying everything, becoming from a place of, let's say, neglect, really. Yeah. Or fear. I think you used the right word, fear. That's, uh, yeah, most people don't want, they don't want to go deeper into anything. It might be too painful for them or too much work. Mm-hmm. So that's sad to hear that this happens. I talk to so many people and I, I hear that from them too. And you know, all we can do now is to have more conversations about it because we can't really change the system all of a sudden, right, overnight. Right. So, and to encourage mind. people to have conversations with their body, just like what you were talking about, you know, to stay open to receiving information, however it comes up. And to really, and then doing the hustle of, of really tracking down the answers and, and getting the help you need. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. You see, yeah, going back to the individual empowerment, right? Yeah. Uh, self-knowledge, self-awareness. Yes, a yes. billion times to that. So we're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions. But before that, would you like to add anything that you left unsaid? Or read a passage, actually. Read any, yeah, any, I know a passage of a book, it's not available now, now. We talked about that before, but I believe you have something that you could read for us. I right? do. Yeah, I could read yeah. um, an excerpt from my most, well, my recent article that ran on Vogue. Um, okay. Five years prior, I was at Target picking out Halloween costumes for my two toddlers when a radiologist called me with my breast biopsy results. The tumor is malignant, she said, but it looks early stage. We'll know more in the next few days. I stood frozen in the middle of the aisle, staring at the Paw Patrol costume in my cart as other moms pushed their way around me, grabbing last-minute items off the racks. I assumed the small lump I'd recently found on my right breast was something left over from breastfeeding my youngest son. I had no idea the havoc that massive cells was going to cause. Within a week, I went from being a healthy 37-year-old mother of two boys to a breast cancer patient. By Christmas 2017, I was recovering at my mother-in-law's house in Lincoln, Massachusetts from a unilateral mastectomy. My cancer was hormone receptor positive, meaning it was receptive to hormone therapy. Following my surgery, my oncologist explained that given my age and type of breast cancer, it would be most effective to treat my cancer with something called an aromatose inhibitor, which works by blocking the enzyme that helps make estrogen in the body. If we kill the estrogen in your body, then the cancer most likely can't grow back, he said. But these medications will induce premature medical menopause. Okay, I said, relieved to learn I wouldn't need chemotherapy. At this time, the prospect of an early induced menopause was abstract to me like trying to understand childbirth before going into labor. My oncologist prescribed a five-year treatment plan that wiped out all the estrogen in my body and shut down my ovaries. 
Within weeks, I was a hot flashing mood swinging insomniac. In some ways, I was prepared for the onslaught of symptoms. I remember my mother driving me around town in the dead of winter in Vermont with all the windows down. My doctor also warned me about the likelihood of having intense mood swings and night sweats. But my worst symptom of all, and the one no one ever mentioned, was vaginal atrophy. I love how vulnerable you had to, to be in order to write like this. It's very, there's, so, there's not just the details, but I, there's a lot of feelings. I can feel, it's almost visualized, in a, it's almost like a movie scene. So um, thank you for being this amazing human being and the beautiful writer that you are too. Wow. Thank you, Anna. Thank you for having me. Wow. And before we say goodbye for today, I do have a technical question. But before that, I have this question that I ask everyone, pretty much everyone. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Oh, wow. Um, well, I, I think of like the two most radical experiences for me have been forgiveness um, for myself. Um, you know, for not being perfect, forgiveness of others for not being perfect, just sort of letting go of, of all that. Um, and then acceptance, which we talked about earlier, just like, um, you know, accepting the life I have and not the life I wish I'd had. Um, and this understanding that, you know, life is still being written. It's still unfolding all around me. Um, and this idea that it comes in chapters and to really try and let it unfold. Um, yes. So, hi, Anna. Yeah. Oh, hi. I would say yes. the third, <laughs> the third experience I would say, um, would be a physical experience, um, of having like some kind of peak experience in nature. For me, that's been, truly transformative and humbling um like a feeling of like for me it's like skiing in powder and just feeling like I'm floating and just really connected with with the universe um and you know for me that's also a, a way of accessing joy and in, in the moment so yes uh I mean, it all sounds very spiritual to me, I have to say. Um, yes, uh, it, that, that's the universal, it's universal messages, really. Um, we all can relate to. For sure, I mean, I can, and I'm sure my audience can. So thank you so much for sharing timeless wisdom as well. We need more of this, um, of this kind of wisdom in this reality, not just knowledge, but wisdom. Thank you, Anna. And before we say goodbye for today, where's the best place to find more information about you and what you do? Um, you can always uh, go to my website, which is annasullivan.net. Um, and I usually update that with all of my writing and speaking engagements. Um, and you can also find me on Instagram. Anna Sullivan Writer is my handle, I guess it's called. And um, I, you know, post some of my writing there and actually I've been developing a lot of community there as well mm, wonderful I'll have those links on your podcast profile on, on the notes 
Thank you so much again for your presence and we'll Thank talk you. soon. Thank you Bye. so much for having me. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Anna Sullivan and her work, please visit annasullivan.net. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org/podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.